2: Hey, everybody, Joe here. Just a quick note before we get going today. Uh, Teddy and I uh, failed to really kind of introduce the concept and the conceit of what we're doing here today. Uh, We're going to be talking overlooked storylines in college baseball, primarily focusing going conference by conference in the major conferences. And we'll touch on some mid major stuff, too. But it occurred to us we didn't really address that we were looking at overlooked storylines and not just general storylines when we did the intro. So just wanted to give you a heads up here in case you wonder why. We're not talking about the top teams in each conference as we go through storylines. We're we're looking at some overlooked stuff today. So just wanted to give you a heads up there before we get going in case there was a little bit of confusion. So without further ado, here
1: we go. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague Joe Healy. And we are here uh, recording this on July 27th, kind of the doldrums of the college baseball calendar in this week between the draft and the signing deadline um there's uh you know been a been a spate of signings but we're not quite to the point where we know exactly who is and isn't coming back yet uh school is definitely not started yet a lot of uh a lot of summer leagues had their all-star games over the last week but we're uh, we're in a little bit of a, a slow period here, Joe, and uh, but we're still we're still rocking here on the on the Baseball America College Podcast.
2: Yeah, always uh, always something to talk about. And you and I joke that you know there there are weeks where we definitely this this week actually is really not one of them. We figured out a concept pretty quickly, but there are weeks where we're kind of like, what are we going to talk about? And we always end up turning it into an hour and ten minutes anyway. So like we you know we 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 figure it out either way. But yeah, we're we're definitely in a in a pocket of time here where. Not as much going on, but that is uh, not such a bad thing all the time, um, you know, kind of keeps keeps the balance there. I couldn't help but notice that a lot of college football writers, you know, tweeting this week and, and last week, uh, and understandably so, about summer being over because conferences are doing their media days right now. Uh, players in college football are reporting back, you know, this week, next week preseason camp is, is getting underway. And so that really kicks up the season for those college football writers. And it's kind of funny because I was talking to my wife about this last night that for their summer is over and that's the, that's the perception of it for them. And it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But for like you and I, I don't know about you, but like it feels like my summer starts after the college world series. And that's basically July 1st. I mean, give or take a couple of days. And so it feels like my summer has just started actually. Yeah. Um, we're in the
1: mid, we're in the midpoint, you know, cause yeah. uh, you know, we really, you're right like July to uh, to Labor Day kind of.
2: yeah so you know and, and I guess technically like the actual the actual you know sun calendar like yeah you that know, it fits doesn't... better with
1: the solar calendar take yeah. that
2: <laughs> but it, but it is funny we it, it spawned this whole conversation between my wife and I in the car like on the way somewhere last night that um, about the perception of seasons versus the actuality of seasons and, and when they land and, and we kind of agreed the weirdest one is winter starting like four days before Christmas um when look i lived in the midwest for a while you lived in the midwest much longer than i did but the idea that you tell any Midwesterner that winter does not start until (laughs) december 21st like my goodness um anyway yes we are we are kind of in, in a pocket here but you know it starts you know kicking up here pretty quick i mean once summer ball wraps up and there's obviously work to be done there with just kind of digesting summer ball but fall camps will be here before we know it
1: that is uh, that is very true, and uh, you know we're not getting terribly far away from colleges starting normal school. Or that's a few weeks away still, but we're uh, we're moving along towards that. Uh, so, having said all of that, uh, the concept that Joe and I are are working with today is that Joe writes uh, every July. Um, these uh, we're still calling them stock watches, right, Joe? Well, stock so I've, I've shifted
2: the format. That's part of it stock watches yeah like um but i've shifted the format this year it used to just be i'd write up all however many teams are in a conference i'd give them an arrow up arrow down based on the results of the the last year kind of a micro look at that and i still do that but instead of writing four or five sentences about each team i just write like one sentence about it to summarize the season give them an arrow up or down but also in the piece i'm doing it like an overview introduction of just basically a 30,000 foot view of how the season went from that league. I'm also writing here's three breakout players defining breakout as wasn't a star last year or two years ago was a star this past season, the Trey Lipscomb types, if you will. Um, I'm also writing the most surprising team in each conference, the most disappointing team in each conference. And then at the end, I kind of just throw out three questions that are going to be answered that are worth watching as we go into fall and leading up to next season. So they are still stock watches. Yes, but I've expanded the format a little bit to to do some different things with it because frankly, I was looking for a little bit of a change in the format because I'd done that for a couple of years now. And also I found that it felt like a little bit unfair that I don't know that like the totality of the season was just going to come down to whether I kind of somewhat arbitrarily sometimes give a team an arrow up or down or to the side. I do arrows to the side too. Um, so the idea that I could expand it a little more and do something a little different intrigued me a little bit just because I, you know, just being the, you know, Siskel and Ebert thumbs up, thumbs down kind of guy on the college baseball world was not necessarily the uh, my favorite thing to be doing. So I'm trying to do a little bit something different with it.
1: So you can see those for the six biggest conferences and look uh Those are Joe's decisions about what the six biggest are. Don't (laughs) don't come crying to me about why Conference USA didn't get included. Um, Those are all on the website now. Um, And uh, yeah, we're going to run through some thoughts that uh, that exercise sparked with Joe and and talk through some of the storylines and just kind of use this as an opportunity to put a final bow on the 2022 season. Uh, And, uh, you know, then we'll, as the, as the calendar flips to August next week, looking ahead, we'll um, be wrapping up the, uh, the, the signing deadline, which occurs on Monday, and um, we'll probably also have an updated version of the uh, never-too-early top 25 as a result of, of the draft. The first one dropped before the draft. We didn't talk about it much because of the timing of it all, uh, but we're going to get into that more uh, next week as uh, we, we have more clarity on uh on the draft results then so this is kind of our final look back at the 2022 season and then as the calendar changes over the weekend we're going to start looking forward to uh to 2023 uh already now that doesn't mean we'll completely ignore 2022 as you know when we talk to interview guests we oftentimes talk about the season that was but this is kind of uh the last big look we're we're going to take uh here on the podcast at uh at 2022 uh, all right Joe so this is uh this is kind of your your thing so let's uh let's start where where you want to start here
2: yeah this is uh we're gonna switch seats on the bus so it uh <laughs> doesn't happen all that often but hopefully I'll the bus to... is
1: parked we're not doing this mid uh <laughs> midstream
2: <laughs> yeah that's right yeah well I mean yeah we're gonna park the bus to switch seats but uh, I'm definitely gonna gonna punch the accelerator once I get in it <laughs> um I've always wanted to work you know the bus doors like in the school bus how you have that handle that open I get I assume public buses but like public transportation buses probably happen too but the way that door opens like that that I've never really gotten to do that I felt like that would always kind of feel satisfying you know what I'm talking about I, I do like I that. think
1: that uh in like the newer like you know big public transit bus like I don't think it's a like I think in old school buses at least it like that's a mechanical thing like the driver is like literally like opening the door himself and, and I think that in public transit it's like a hydraulic situation
2: yeah hmm. interesting bus engineers get at us uh, progress not always good in my opinion in that in that regard the, the handle is fine anyway uh okay so yes i so i did actually do a season review in stock watch for the american as teddy alludes to uh you know the cusa and the sunbelt were better leagues this year um but i went with the six traditionally the six biggest
1: best leagues i do not have if really i can any... interject here joe sure. and i were talking about sunbelt stuff before we hit record and uh Quickly, Joe, do you think now in the new Sunbelt era and the new American era, when, once that starts, like, are we going to view the Sunbelt equal to the American or greater than the American? I think. I mean, I think I think
2: there's a real chance that it's that it's better. I mean, because I, I think I do think there's I wrote about this a little bit like in the American season review is that I, I do think there is like a, a real question of does the American become even more than it already is? Because we're there, <laughs> but. Does it just become even more of East Carolina and a bunch of other teams, right? Um, I think the Sunbelt has a has a has a greater chance to be a more diverse uh, conference in terms of the teams that are at the top, the teams that are getting to the postseason. I think ultimately they're gonna occupy a similar space. I don't think one is necessarily uh leaps and bounds greater than the other but but i do think there's a very real chance the sunbelt just ends up being a, a better league even if maybe okay maybe east carolina does break through to omaha at some point and you've got that one team that succeeds at a higher level than the rest but in terms of a top to bottom conference I, yeah i think the sunbelt's got a great
1: chance to be better in the end i think that's right definitely the diversity is right i uh, I guess at some point it'll depend on, like, do you measure the conference on number of bids or on how far those teams go? And then we'll see if Coastal can recapture and Louisiana Lafayette can recapture, like, what they've been in the past as Omaha teams and Southern Miss also as, a, as an Omaha team. Or if, uh, you know, lately those teams have been just going out in regionals, who, who, who can make super regionals more regularly will, will become more interesting, I think. And it feels like the Americans going to need some
2: projecting, right? Like you need to project. Does Charlotte stay on this kind of trajectory, right? I mean, they didn't make regionals this past season, but they were they were still a very good team, like yeah. right. They they could have could have easily been in that mix if a couple things go differently. Um, you know, does UTSA continue its climb, or was this this season, this past season, kind of a little bit of a ceiling, or do they have more, you know, more rope there? Uh, does Rice ever get back to something uh, approaching a functional, like high-level program? Like, there's, it feels like the Americans got some projecting to do. Whereas you can plug and play on the Sun Belt in, in a way that I just don't know that you can necessarily beyond East Carolina in the American.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, like, there's and there's hope for teams still in the American, like Tulane and um, and Wichita and now Memphis with with Carrick Jackson coming in. Like, what can they become? But yeah, there's there's more ifs there then like we know what coastal louisiana and southern miss are
2: right i think that's exactly right so um okay well we'll go ahead and kick this off um i guess we will start with uh we'll go alphabetical with the power five conferences or at least alphabetical the way i have it um you can make an argument about alphabetical Uh, big 10 versus big 12.
1: Um, 12 goes before 10. That's
2: that's how I have it. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, but we'll start with the ACC. So the the way we're going to play this game, if you will, is I'm going to, for some conferences, I have two things for some, I have three. Uh, I'm going to throw them out there. Uh, I will give Teddy the chance to choose the one he thinks is most interesting. We'll talk about that one. And maybe we'll circle back on, on a couple of the others. And uh, Teddy has not heard these. I'm sure he can intuit some of these, but he has not heard these. Uh, so, Teddy, I will free you from this this podcast thing that we feel like we have to do, where we have to like have like expansive thoughts on something that's being posed to us. Like, I I will totally free you from that if you just don't think it's interesting or don't have anything on it. Just you can just say so, and we'll you know we'll move on, or I'll say something about it. I mean, uh, you 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 should not feel like you need to give an essay on every last one of these topics. So, uh, okay, ACC. Here's here's three things. Two things. I'm sorry. I can't read my own handwriting very well. If you saw my handwriting, you'd understand. Um, Pitt, another solid season for Pitt. Um, so I'm kind of interested in the idea of are they hitting, are, is what we're seeing the ceiling here? And that they're going to be, maybe they can push for kind of 500 in the ACC, this current iteration of Pitt. In some years, that's good enough. Some years, it's not good enough, as it's been the last two years. Um, and that's kind of what they are. Or are we seeing the establishing of a new kind of floor for Pitt, which is that the days of Pitt going, I don't know if they ever finished like this, but eight and 22 or nine and 21 or 10 and 20 in the ACC are over. And this is kind of just a new floor for Pitt that they can jump off of. Right. Uh, My other one is that I don't know if it's, there's another, maybe there's a couple of teams like this and we'll maybe talk about one of them when we go to the big 12, but I'm not sure there's a team that things went worse for last year in terms of when you looked at the team and said, okay, if this team is going to be good, they need this, this, and that to go correct, to go right. I'm not sure there's a team that missed on that as much as Duke did. Um, You know, RJ Shrek didn't live up to his 2021 production. Um, A rotation of Marcus Johnson, Luke Fox, and Cooper Stinson, which looked pretty solid on paper coming into the year. Those guys had 561, 654, and 701 ERAs respectively. The offense in general just wasn't, you know, I don't know if they had anybody hit above 300 on the season. Like it just felt like every last thing that they needed to go one way went the other. And that's how you end up with Duke finishing 10 and 20 in in the ACC. So we've talked a lot of ACC this season because of the topsy-turvy nature of it, where week to week you didn't know what you were really going to get. So admittedly, I am kind of scraping the bottom of the conference for these couple of topics because they're things we didn't talk about much. But so I've got Pitt on the board. I've got Duke on the board. Which would you
1: like? So like, I I actually want to talk about Duke, but first on Pitt, uh, you said you didn't know if they ever went in 22. They did in 2019. They have lost 20 ACC games three times since joining the league. 2014 uh, was their first year. And I... I think it's too early to say like that this is the new floor, but I want to believe that there's a ceiling above this. Uh, they were so close a year ago and yes, 2021 was so weird, but they were so close to breaking through and potentially even hosting a regional, I'll never forget. They were shortlisted to host a regional and miss the tournament. Um, and yes, they, you know, they've barely finished above 500 overall in each of the last two years and have yet to have a winning ACC record, but I want to, believe that that was the start of something and not the end of something not the result of them being an older team that I, I think that they're mike bell is working towards something there uh and like we'll see in time but more i'm more interested in the duke situation because they had several players drafted off of that team still um it didn't come together for them and now uh they have a new coaching staff as well. Chris Pollard had to hire two new assistants. Um, I guess they were moving on from their pitching coach, I, I think, uh, to begin with. But then Josh Jordan, the 2018 Assistant Coach of the Year, uh, takes a job at LSU to become Jay Johnson's recruiting coordinator. And so this is now the first time that those two coaches, Pollard and uh, and JJ, are going to be separated. Um, since like the start of chris pollard's app state tenure and so i mean that's kind of interesting just right there that you know they jointly and obviously as the head coach chris pollard has more to do with this but josh jordan is one of the better recruiters nationally uh and they jointly took app state to you know a regional final and then took duke to the heights that they've been the last you know, five years or so, and now that's going to going to be a, just a different dynamic, and sometimes that's a good thing, um, and, and we'll see. Like, I like the hire of Ty Blankmeyer to, um, you know, take over that recruiting coordinator role, and Duke has a lot of talent coming in again uh, this year. They have a strong recruiting class. They had an interesting freshman class, one of their better recruiting classes, I think actually their best ever. And maybe there were just a little too young in 2021 and, and, you know, they had some injuries and they're asking Marcus Johnson to convert from the bullpen to starting. And maybe all of that was just a little bit too much. Um, Alex Moody right now is having a really nice summer in the Cape Cod league. He was a freshman a year ago. What's he going to look like now this year? I, I think there are a lot of players like that, that you can feel good about where Duke is headed, but, it is going to be a very different look, not only this year but moving forward, and also just the fact that you know a year ago they were coming off of an ACC tournament title, um, and now they're coming off of a, a very disappointing, you know, ACC finish, as as you detailed there.
2: Yeah, I think I don't a disappointing season. I don't think it's any reason to to be down on. Certainly down on the the program, and even looking at twenty twenty three, like because to your point, I mean, Alex Mooney had a really nice year; he's playing well in the Cape. Johnny Santucci had a nice year; he was on you know the collegiate national team, at least the the training camp roster. Uh, Luke Storm is a younger player that hit ten home runs. I mean, they've got some some nice younger pieces that are going to be back. So I I do think there is a chance that we see. Uh, something of a a quick bounce back for Duke, and and there is something to I, th- I think you alluded to this. There is something to just kind of an idea of, um, shaking things up and a fresh start. I think that sometimes can be uh, cathartic and, and energizing for for a program. So perhaps that's what's in store for for Duke moving forward. Okay, so we'll move on to the Big Twelve. Um, Big Twelve. We talked offline about this. Big Twelve was kind of tough too, just because that conference hierarchy we've talked about this before doesn't have a lot of movement right like the teams that are at the top tend to be at the top teams that are in the middle tend to be in the middle and the teams that are at the bottom tend to be at the bottom um so i kind of had to work a little harder to, to find things here but um we're gonna start uh with west virginia is my first item here and i find it interesting because on a couple of different fronts one is that um they were better than, than I anticipated. I think they were better than a lot of people anticipated. Um, and that's interesting that West Virginia is a program that was able to rebound that quickly. You know, they, they were hosting a regional back in 2019. They weren't as good in 2021, obviously. But in 2022, they were right back in that, in that mix. And for a program that not that long ago uh, was not that kind of program, I think that's notable. The other thing that's interesting about it, though, is I think they are the perfect example the perfect program example of how much the bubble shrank and how different the postseason picture looked once we got to selection Monday versus the week before, right? Because that's a team that goes 14 and 10 in the big 12. And yes, their RPI was what it was. It was 45 ish when they got eliminated from the big 12 tournament and only got worse throughout the week. So like the big 12 RPI problems were a thing, but you know, they're 14 and 10 in the big 12 RPI was in the forties. When they get eliminated from the big 12 tournament, that's, that's a resume that, like, is usually pretty safe in the Big 12. And by the time the field comes out, they were like not even on the board <laughs> at that point. And I had a bad feeling about that. I wrote about it when I was at the Big 12 tournament. um So they're kind of interesting on two fronts. Like, they were, I think, better than the outside expectations for them were. But also, it's kind of disappointing that they were a team that was getting plugged into the field of 64 week after week after week after week. After week. And then in the end, they just, didn't quite get there so there's that the other thing is Baylor Um, that's the team I alluded to where like Duke just nothing really seemed to go right and I think more so than uh, Duke was a lot of just like guys that didn't live up to preseason expectations for them Baylor just got ravaged especially on the mound by injuries now I think you can look at the lineup and say who's the guy in this lineup that really uh broke out and who had you know his best season and I, that like that's that's the thing there like that's similar to duke where the the baylor lineup just from guy to guy you didn't really have the guys having career years or breakout years but on the mound they just i don't i don't know what they could have done like by the time they got to the big 12 tournament they were so so thin on the mound they were just really fighting for every last out that's a tough way to live um so they were not very good in a team that Uh, you and i were pretty bullish on we had coach rod on the the podcast last off season Uh, he seemed pretty bullish on his team uh and i think we were all right in doing so um but it was it was a surprise to me and 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 look that we've talked about the hire i think mitch thompson is a is a good hire like it makes a lot of sense on a lot of fronts but i am a little surprised that um you know baylor just moved on from coach rod and that's something that i had not considered right up until the end of the season when people started asking me hey do you think baylor's gonna move on from coach rod frankly and and i you know i'm not here to, to judge whether that was the right thing or the wrong thing but i will say it was a surprising thing for me when that started to be thrown around um uh, you know a team that was team number 65 in 2021 out of the field a team that had been in regionals every other full season since his first at baylor um you know, yes, they had not had the breakthrough season where they hosted or got to a super or or what have you. But I would have guessed, you know, I would have thought 2023 would have been an important year for the staff if they brought it back. But I, I I have to admit, like them making a coaching change was not something I had on my my bingo card, even after they go, whatever it was, seven and 17 in the Big 12. So those are West Virginia Baylor are the two items on the board there.
1: Yeah, so I don't really know what to make of West Virginia or I mean uh, Baylor. Um, West Virginia was a team that I probably on this podcast spent a fair amount of time saying, yeah, but like, are they actually good? And the committee maybe had some of the similar concerns, like if you really look at the resume, uh, they crafted a good but not great resume and it turned out that the bubble like kind of required you to be a little better than good this year. Like you couldn't just be a mediocre Big 12 team because RPI hated the Big 12 for whatever reason. Um, And West Virginia did not do enough in the non-conference slate to to dig itself out of that. But I think that, you know, moving forward, they're in a pretty good spot there in Morgantown. they are bringing in some intriguing newcomers this year, both from a uh, high school and you know, kind of traditional recruiting perspective. And also I think they've been they've done some interesting things in terms of the portal. Uh, one of their players, their, their top recruit, uh, whose name I don't have right in front of me, uh, just like he was drafted in the teens somewhere and he just yesterday like made it clear that he was coming to school. Uh, So that's, that's good news for Randy Macy. And you look at, you know, Alec Manoa was one of the stars of the all-star game. And that might have been, I didn't actually watch the major league all-star game, Uh, but coming out of it, everyone was very excited about Alec Manoa. And some of that might've just been his personality coming through when they had him mic'd up. But also like, that's a guy that was pitching in Morgantown not very long ago. And now he's like starring on the big league stage. Like, that stuff matters, I think, and, and just shows you where that program has come from. I mean, we talked about Duke a second ago and how you know that program has, you know, pulled itself out of the doldrums to the point where we don't even like talk about the fact that they went 50 years in between NCAA tournament appearances. I think West Virginia hasn't been as consistent as Duke in terms of that, but this is also a program that spent decades in in a very dark period and now is a team that we're talking about minimally as being a bubble team. It feels like you're in and year are out. And I, I think that's a pretty significant accomplishment there from Randy Mazie.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I, I think, um, I think that's right. And they, you know, they've, they've uh, one thing that's I think impressive about them too, is they've not, they've been able to kind of traverse the waters of transfer portal and um, having guys get, you know, like the recruiting piece, like it's not necessarily a program that's just had the same group of guys who have all kind of, you know, through 2019 and then obviously 2020. But it, it's, not, it's not the same roster, I guess, is what I'm saying. The last basically three or four years that has all just kind of been together and now they're going to reboot the thing. Like, to your point, they've been pretty aggressive in the portal. They've been of a good development program. Like, they've got some interesting arms, which is the hardest thing if you're kind of an ascendant program is to, to get the arms together. Um, yeah it just feels like that's a program that's in a really good spot and the ceiling i don't know we we'll, we saw them host a regional right so like we know that that's at least the ceiling there um, there are obviously challenges with being where they are but they've just done a really nice job kind of being who they are there and it's it's clearly clearly working so um, gavin
1: van Kempen is the oh, uh, that's a great soon name. to be freshman
2: that is a great name uh put him on the names list watch list um okay so let's move on to the big 10 um and speaking of teams in that general vicinity i've got three items for the big 10 uh the first one as i allude to penn state not bad um that was a you know a program that was really scuffling um and what really wasn't bad got back to the big 10 tournament for the first time in a long time won a game in the big 10 tournament for the first time in an even longer amount of time um not insignificant for that program um and coach rob Cooper. Um, who look I you know, I shy away often from making these types of value judgments because we just don't you and I just don't know these people that well. But uh, Rob Cooper, I think I feel confident saying one of the one of the good guys in college coaching um, that is universally understood. So happy for him to kind of get that uh, get that going back in the right direction. Uh, also, if you're interested, I wrote something from ABCA in January, the coaches convention um, about Rob Cooper being vulnerable and honest about his failings as a head coach, frankly, and um, getting the program in his eyes turned back around. Um, and I think we're maybe seeing the fruits of some of that right now. So if you're interested, that that is out there and you can search that. Um, okay, uh, two other things. Uh, Iowa did the thing we always asked them to do and it didn't matter because the Big Ten and RPI and just kind of in the eyes that we know now in the committee because Rutgers, Rutgers didn't get in. Um Iowa did the thing we asked them to where they just took care of business and they didn't have the late season slump and they won the out of conference games that they were looking to win. Um unfortunately for them this year one of the teams they beat was Texas Tech which the RPI also did not love. <laughs> so that wasn't quite the big time RPI win it would have otherwise been. Um but it just didn't matter this year. It was a very good team, especially on the mound. Um so I feel for them a little bit because I think this team was better than um some of the other Iowa teams that have gotten arguably closer to the postseason and it just wasn't meant to be and then finally Indiana Nebraska Ohio State all weren't very good last year um I think that really affected as I wrote in the Big Ten season review I think that really affected the depth of the league I think that's why uh, a big part of the reason you saw what you saw in terms of the postseason pecking order there but uh, the Big Ten really needs those three those three brands if you will and I hate using that word and applying it to sports but they do kind of need those three brands to be firing on all cylinders for the big 10 to be the best version of itself in baseball so we've got penn state we've got iowa and then we've got the big 10 powers being down on the board here
1: i don't want to come across as like harping on iowa but they lost eight games to sub 100 like rpi 101 and above teams like i they should have got in maybe but like also, I don't know. Like, I I feel for them, but like they lost twice to Wichita State. They, uh, I don't know. Like, that's a tough one for me. I liked Iowa. I think that Iowa is moving in a good direction. Like, you kind of hate that they had Adam Mazer for a year and they weren't able to uh, to take advantage of it. But uh, you know, you, you see some of the freshmen how how well they did. What Brody Brecht did. Um, like, I, there's a lot to be excited about with Iowa uh, and, you know, much in the same way that I just said about West Virginia, how they are consistently at least a bubble team, it feels like, and what an accomplishment that was like, Iowa wasn't quite in the same like ditch that Duke and West Virginia were as programs prior to Rick Heller, but they also like, they're not, that they, he has very much elevated the Iowa baseball experience and uh, it's not an easy place. Uh, you know, we've talked about where they are in terms of facilities relative to the rest of the big 10, even, and obviously just being in that, uh, the environment, that climate, um, is, makes things difficult. Like there, I feel good about the spot that Iowa is. And I'm very interested though, in terms of those like bigger big 10 traditional programs, like where are they going? And I think with Indiana, it was pretty clearly Like, you saw this coming from a mile away, Joe, that 2022 was potentially going to be very rough. They were just so young all around the diamond. they lost so much. Were they going to be able to to replace it? And the answer turned out to be, uh, no, not really, but also they didn't take a as massive of a nosedive as they could have. And some of those players are very good that they brought in like Carter Matheson was like borderline freshman all American. And they had a couple other guys like that. Uh, I feel good about them going forward. Some of those other programs. Now, you know, you look at Ohio state with a new coach and Bill Moziello, like just a lot of unknowns. And so I find that to be kind of an an interesting aspect of the big 10 moving forward.
2: I, I totally agree. Like it's, um, it'll be interesting to see how this stuff kind of, um, you know, pecking orders, especially in the big 10, like the pecking orders aren't as codified as they are in some other conferences, right? Like we feel pretty good about like, you know, it's part of the reason why Indiana was so jarring, not being as uh, struggling as much as they did is because we're just used to seeing them there. But that league is not as hard coded as the other ones are like you, you do see some movement there. And I don't think the book has fully been written on 20 years. of well, we don't know what the, college sports is going to look like in 20 years, but let's say hypothetically in 20 years, things look more or less the same, I guess, plus UCLA and USC and the big 10. Um, the, the book has not been fully written on what the best teams in the conference are going to be 20 years from now in a way that in other conferences, I think you can be a little more educated about that kind of stuff because they have a lot more history of being top flight college baseball programs. So uh, th- these are important times for some of these programs. And so they also, I think those three are interesting because they are in different places, right? So Indiana has had Jeff Mercer as head coach for a decent amount of time now. There's some proof of concept there. Like, I think there's confidence in getting that turned around um, just based on what we've seen there so far. Nebraska, their coach I hasn't been Mercer's there. only
1: been there a year longer than Will Bolt. Was is it that, 19 is that right? first year?
2: Is that right? That might be.
1: Wow. Because 18 was the year that Mississippi State had the like craziness happen and got to the world series anyway with Gary Henderson. So that means Lamonis was hired the next year.
2: Yeah, you're right. 19 was his first year. So I, you know, I, that, that, that's a good point to bring up. Cause like, that's part of maybe me not being fair to Nebraska, right. Or even to, to, to Jeff Mercer in Indiana, but in, in, relative to Nebraska, what I was about to say is like, you know, wilbold hasn't been there as long. And yes, they had the twenty twenty one season where they won the big ten. I mean, the and pandemic they... is a real thing though that he lost his first season no, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And so, but you know, point being probably not because I was going to draw a line between like, hey, you know, this is Jeff Mercer, like they've had success there. and like, I don't know. I mean, you look at it now and they both have it you know, one big ten title, correct. And you know, one regional, frankly, like, Indiana made regionals in 19, didn't make it in 21 uh, or last year. So I was about to draw a line there that I think is not fair. So that's a good correction. Um, but regardless, getting me back on on to, to my larger point here is that th- this book has not fully been written. And so at, in a world where I think we're, we are pretty confident that like, hey, Rutgers might not be as good as they were last year, but like this is not a Rutgers that's going to go away. Um, they continue to play really effectively in the transfer portal, in my opinion, um, to find the right kinds of guys to bring back. Uh, and I say bring back because often it is a New Jersey kid coming Almost back from a program that is not in the state of New Jersey necessarily. All they it's do get's a great niche.
1: Out. Oh, no doubt. I mean, especially because out. the state of New Jersey like is more populous than anybody. I feel like realizes certainly. Right. Maybe that, maybe that's a me projecting thing. It's more populous than I realize. And like, there are just a lot of good players there. Yeah. I mean, Jersey really, in terms of
2: population really benefits from, not necessarily having the biggest of cities in its own state, but bordering several big cities in other states, you know, where like the, there are suburbs of Philadelphia and New York city in the state of New Jersey. <laughs> um, so anyway, regardless, um, so in a world where Rutgers is ascendant, right. And like, maybe Iowa's found a new level because like, they've not pitched like that in the past. Like those were real dudes in the mound. And like, maybe it's a one-off, I don't know, but if it's not like okay maybe Iowa's found something else here right and so you know there there is something to be determined here in the in the big ten and so these programs are already going to be motivated to get going back in the right direction but um you know they are doing so in a big ten that i think there's going to be um that it, it, it is not as easy to to bounce back up and be be the, the the class of the conference year over year as it was say 10 12 years ago and we've we've talked about that before like um there's a lot of competition for those spots so anyway
1: well, and especially, it, it. there's a lot of people right now, Ohio State has a new coach, Michigan has a new head coach. Those are two of the biggest programs, both in terms of brand recognition and history in the Big Ten. Uh, we talked about on our coaching carousel wrap that Northwestern, we really liked the Jim Foster hire. Uh, Northwestern is not what Michigan and Ohio State are, but if they're going to... You know, like Rutgers kind of trying to upset the apple cart and be disruptive to the traditional order. Like that's another thing to contend with. And hey, Minnesota has been at the bottom of the conference for the last two years. We know what Minnesota is capable of. And furthermore, John Anderson's tenure is coming to an end. Like I don't think that's breaking news. He's very much on the on the twilight of his career, and I'm not sitting here trying to push him out because they had two bad years. I'm just like, if you look at his age and how long he's been there, like it's coming to an end there. So Minnesota historically has been there. They have a lot of, at the top of the conference, they have a lot of advantages. Things are going to change materially in the Big Ten in the next few years, just because of the coaching changes that we've seen. So, uh, you know, you see what Maryland's doing right now. I, there, you see what Rutgers is doing. There is room for for programs like that. But to your point, you got to get on the bus now, uh, lest you get left behind as Tracy Smith finds his footing in Ann Arbor and Bill Mo's Yellow and Columbus and, and all the rest of that and stuff.
2: Speaking of the bus, since I am well, driving the bus. We're,
1: we're, going to, we're, we're going to jump off the bus here for a second uh, and, uh, and get to these ads. I don't know if that's what Joe was going to try to uh, do. It was out, yeah, I was going
2: to try to sneak in. I was going to try to jump the ad break. But go ahead. Go ahead.
1: No, you do it. You do it.
2: Okay. All right. So we're three conferences down. We have two major conferences plus some mid-majors to talk about, and we will get to that next. But first, check this out.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
2: done. All right. Uh, I don't know about you, but that was our our best ad yet, probably. Um, Moving on. Uh, Okay. The pack 12. So I've got a couple of, um, I've got three items here. Two are pretty hyper-specific to the results last season. One is kind of a big picture thing. So the two that are more specific to last season, one is that Washington finished pretty strong last year. They were looking early in the season, like they were kind of in a repeat of 2021 when they were at the bottom of the Pac-12, looked like they were going to miss the Pac-12 tournament. Um, Just kind of out of character. Like you can maybe quibble with, you know, Washington maybe not being as consistent at the top of the conference from year to year, but they were typically no, no worse than a middle of the pack club year to year, but it was looking like two years in a row of really struggling, but they came on strong late Ended up getting into the Pac-12 tournament, really pretty clear. Um, and so, after the season, there was a little bit of a surprising announcement: Lindsey Megs retiring, Jason Kelly taking over. So it, it feels like maybe uh, some momentum going into Jason Kelly's first season. There's some interesting talent there on campus. They, you know, as Teddy knows better than I, like they've been recruiting pretty well. So they've also not really had, as I monitor the transfer portal, they've not. I mean, they've had guys drafted, but they've not really had the Exodus via the transfer portal that a lot of other coaching change places have had. So that's interesting there. Um, So that's one. The other is that uh, we talked a lot going into the season about like UCLA is going to be interesting because they're really, really young, but they're also really, really talented. And they did have ups and downs. Like they were a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde outfit, but for them to go 19 and 11 in the PAC 12 in a season where they were that young, I think has to be seen as a, Unequivocal um, success, um, you know. Especially as a jumping-off point for, they should be better in twenty twenty-three, and then maybe twenty twenty-four is the year they're really eyeballing as that freshman class that was number one in the country will be in their third third year there. So, um, to to kind of traverse being as young as they were and to do as well as they did, I think is is notable. And then the 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 big picture thing is that you know Cal was once again right around 500 in the Pac-12. And, and yes, that did not end in a regional appearance. So like, you know, there's that. Uh, I don't want, you know, don't want to give him too much credit there. But, you know, again, around 500 in the Pac-12. And outside of the brief period of time when Dave Esker was there and was dealing with the fallout from that program being cut and then being saved, where the recruiting understandably just dropped off for a couple of years because they they lost their class <laughs> during that period of time, right? So other than the immediate aftermath of that, Cal never really bottoms out as a program. And like, we should probably appreciate that more than we do. Just given all that Cal has to deal with, right? Like it's a highly academic school. It is a public school, yes, but it is a highly academic school. Um, It is not the cheapest place to, even among publics, to go to school and to live. Oh, by the way, Um, they don't have facilities. Their facility, like it's not even... It's not even just saying it's not good compared to the rest of the Pac-12 is not really doing justice of how basic their facility is. Like it's probably would be towards the bottom of the Mountain West, frankly. Um, So there's that going for them. We also know because the history of that athletic department, like they can't feel the most supported there, frankly, right? Like (laughs) there is there does have to be a little bit of a feeling of like that all of this is like a little bit tenuous, Right. And yet in the face of that, like they're a pretty good team year after year and pretty talented. I mean, I, I don't know the exact total, but I they had, I think four or five guys drafted again. Um, and that's pretty typical for them. So I think there's just like a greater appreciation of what Cal is doing year to year than, than what we've given them, because that is not an easy place to be as good as they have been. They really have no business being as consistent as they've been the last, the last couple of decades and frankly, throughout their history.
1: I like the Ode to Cal, uh, part of me wishes that they did have a breakthrough season because like they often have the talent for it. But um, I mean, you're talking about a place that had a Golden Spikes winner, you know, but it, 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 you are right to note how many of the extenuating circumstances that they deal with there and how challenging uh, that must be for Mike New and um, you know all the players to, to deal with on a on a day to day basis. I find Washington here to be a very interesting situation because UW is a team that I have often felt going into the season, like, Oh, I really like UW this year. And has not always come to fruition? Uh, they did of course go to Omaha in 18, have that breakthrough haven't been able to really repeat that level of success. I, i feel good about the hire that they made in jason kelly um they have a guy that knows what it takes to win there i think it mentioned this on the uh coaching carousel podcast we did that like literally all of uw's best years uh overlap with jason kelly's tenure there and how much of that is a coincidence how much of that relates to him you know like other people can figure that out but obviously some of it does relate to him and he is very aware of what it takes to win there. So I I just feel like getting him there, they, I feel like have not lost, not only did they not lose in the portal, but they didn't lose in the recruiting class very much. Uh, I I just think that they're in, and it was a top 25 class that they signed last year. I, I think that they're in a pretty strong position considering the upheaval that resulted from the head coach who took you to Omaha the one time you went there retiring like that could be a very negative moment in the program and instead uh they are continuing to build on that here i feel or at least didn't lose everything in the wake of that
2: Yeah, and i think there's there's an opportunity we talked about the big 10 there being an opportunity i think the pac-12 it's different right i think we we feel more confident in stanford and oregon state at the top of the league than we do anybody in the big 10 um but when you consider that Oregon is 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 a lot better, but that they're a new kid on the block in terms of being that good. Um, or they've returned to the block, I guess. It's kind of like they, they they lived there and they moved out. Now they're back. Um, that's kind of kind of what that deal is there. But, um, you know, Arizona State has scuffled a little bit now. They're being very aggressive in the portal, and I actually kind of like their talent uh, at Arizona State going into next year. So that'll be interesting. Um, but you don't know what to expect there. Arizona went through a coaching change. Wasn't as good last year. They were pretty inconsistent. Last year, uh, so there. I think there is like a middle of middle class opportunity at UCLA again. Like they were very good last year, but do they make a jump? You know, or they're are also they only be... in
1: the conference for another two years.
2: It's a great point. It's absolutely a great point. So uh, there is kind of like a middle class opportunity there for a Washington, um or you know, even if, if if Cal is able to figure something out. So these teams we're kind of talking about, there there is opportunity there. I feel like in the Pac-12, so something to. uh to watch moving forward. So, okay. So we'll get to the SEC. Um, and this is where I remind you that, because uh, I'm sure Teddy mentioned this in the, in the intro, but, uh, you know, sometimes I'm not the best listener. Um, <laughs> that You know, we're, we're talking about overlooked storylines, right? So we're not going to sit here and really recount Actually, the old. Actually, don't story. think I
1: did. You might have, but I didn't.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't know that we did either. So people are probably wondering, like, why are they talking about Baylor in the Big 12? <laughs> yeah, so, like, these are overlooked storylines. Um, you know, these are teams we didn't talk about uh storylines we didn't really talk about didn't get covered because they got you know squeezed out by the more important things that were happening during the season so it's a good reminder as we go to the SEC that we're we're not going to do a full recounting of Ole Miss's run to the title or you know Arkansas season or Texas A&M and Auburn getting to Omaha after all that like we wrote plenty about that while we were in Omaha and after Omaha and we've talked plenty about it so these are overlooked storylines um okay two in the SEC which this is actually one of the harder conferences because obviously we talk enough sec where it's kind of actually hard to find things that that we didn't talk about at length uh to begin the season or during the course of the season um one is that tyler guilfoyle at kentucky was a dude last year (laughs) like he was really really good um and sec is gonna is a league where it's tough to win pitcher of the year because like I I'm gesturing it like everything around me, like the SEC's pitchers are always going to be upper crust, but like he was not far off from that being like an SEC pitcher of the year type season. That's how good he was for Kentucky in that relief role, like a Lipscomb transfer who just was absolutely awesome at Kentucky last year.
1: All American got himself drafted. uh, And like, I feel like if Kentucky had been better, like he wasn't cops, obviously, Uh, but like if Kentucky had been better, I think people would have realized more, but like he was a huge part of why Kentucky was a bubble team.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, and there's something to be said for Kentucky. Like they, 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 their transfer portal gambit. I mean, it didn't work as well as Texas A&M. They weren't getting the, the quality of players Texas A&M was getting, but like it worked for them too. Like they're, they're, best guys. A lot of them were were transfers. So they're doing it again. We'll see how it goes.
1: I mean, as much as uh, everyone talked about Jacob Polish and rightfully so, A&M doesn't go to Omaha without him. Like he was better.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Just an incredible season. Um, so then my second thing, which I assume you'll, you'll jump off. Cause I, I feel like what else are we going to say about Tyler Guilfoyle? No disrespect. <laughs> I just mean like talking about one individual player is, you know, there's only so much you can talk about is just kind of us not knowing what Mississippi state season would be had Landon Sims been healthy. Right. Because that's such an interesting thing because Mississippi state wasn't just mad last year. They were bad. And to the point where you have to wonder like, okay, what was their ceiling with Landon Sims? Right. He was um, pretty good to start the season. On the other hand, they lost a game to Northern Kentucky in which he started now, given his results in his other starts, that is probably just a blip on the radar kind of thing versus like any sort of major red flag, but it is a data point. So how good would he have had to have been for Mississippi state to be a postseason team, right? I mean, they went nine and 21, but we know in the sec, that means if they had won five more games in conference play, they'd be right in the mix. Um, That's not a ton. So, Okay. Does he flip five games? Um, But on the other hand, like they were they were just bad. They were bad enough last year. I mean, worst record in the SEC. That it it seems clear to me. I guess I should just be a little more direct about it. It seems clear to me that they just weren't going to be last year as good as anywhere near as good as we thought they were going to be. But also, a couple of standard deviations worse off than we thought the floor probably was. (laughs) Um, and I don't think Landon Sims, he might've by, if he had continued to pitch as well as he had in spurts to start the season, like perhaps he kind of like puts them on his back and drags them to being a bubble team. But I, I kind of feel like that might've been the ceiling of what we were looking at for that team, just given how it ended up playing out.
1: So in this counterfactual, can we also give them stone Simmons back? Uh, Sure. Yeah. Let's, let's go crazy. So, like, I think if you give them those two pitchers, like they are bubbly, uh, at the very least. And a weird thing happened with Mississippi State, and maybe this isn't so weird. Maybe this is a normal thing, and what happened with Ole Miss is the really weird thing. Uh, but whereas Ole Miss, you know, we've recounted this time and again, and you, you said we weren't going to recount it again. So, like, I'm not here to to do it. But like, what happened with Ole Miss? starting on may 1st happened like the dead opposite thing happened with mississippi state starting the weekend before that weekend the last weekend of april april 29 to may 1 they were at mizzou and they went one and two having lost on friday and that just like that was clear to them at that point it feels like that the season was done that they had just come off of a, a series win against ole miss they lose on tuesday to ole miss uh in, in pearl then they go to mizzou and they lose two out of three and at that point it's just it's curtains they go one and nine down the stretch they get swept by uf by AM, and by tennessee and it's actually worse than one in nine like that's me being lazy um it's like one in 12 down the stretch and i just have to believe that you know, I, I wasn't watching those games, but they lost 27 to 2 on Thursday uh in that final series to, to Tennessee. I I have to believe on some level the team just checked out. Um for you know, they they saw where they were. And they lost some close games in there. They lost by one run to AM on a Friday, and they lost by two runs to Florida on a Friday. But like I I'm not saying they were completely checked out, but they were they were done and they understood that. And so what happened, like the, the record looks abysmal, but I think that they probably weren't quite that bad. So if you give them Simmons and if you give them Sims, I think they wind up being a tournament team, maybe even safely a tournament team, but not the top five team that we had them coming into the season. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that?
2: No, I, I think that's, I think that's about right. You give them a couple more arms because let's not forget that, it's not just that you bolt on those two guys and that you get their performance. It also slides everyone down a seat. Right. And like, so that can in theory improve the performance of other guys who aren't getting overexposed, et cetera, et cetera. So it does have knock on effects that I think would be, would be helpful. So I think that's probably about right. Like I think we were looking at something in between what they thought they were going to be and what they ended up being, which is probably a team that was on the bubble and maybe on the good side of the bubble, maybe a little better than that, but they they certainly weren't, it's, it's incredibly unlikely they were going to go into the postseason as like, Oh, this is an Omaha team. Um, now <laughs> Ole Miss showed us that like, you know, the definition of an Omaha team is, is a moving target, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's an, it's an interesting thing that, that the season playing out the way it did. I think you're right to bring up the idea that like at a certain point it just gets tough to kind of, um, keep rolling that boulder uphill when the boulder keeps trying to roll back down onto you. Um, you know, maybe there was a point where they just let the boulder go. And um, that that happens sometimes. So they're gonna be an interesting team. Uh, spoiler alert for when Teddy and I talk about our like offseason top 25 and uh start to look ahead. They're they're just gonna be a team that's gonna be hard to peg because of how bad they were last year. Um, it's just gonna be tough. It, the, but the talent is good, right? So um that's gonna be a team. We we are not done talking Mississippi State baseball this offseason. I can absolutely guarantee you that.
1: I want to go back to Kentucky, not because I want to talk more about Tyler DeFoyle, but I find them to be so, somewhat similar to some of the teams we we did spend some time on. Um, you know, Pitt, Duke, West Virginia, Iowa. Like Kentucky in 2017 had that breakthrough, wins a regional for the first time. Since then, has not been able to come close to to that level but they keep hanging around the bubble and they keep being on the wrong side of the bubble and I don't know Joe what like they had a lot of injuries this year a healthy Kentucky I assume makes the tournament as well relatively comfortably but I mean they're never going to have the cushion like like it it was kind of weird that Mississippi State like yes those were two of the most important pitchers but there was no it turned out there was no net under them like i'm not surprised there wasn't a net underneath kentucky when Cole stuff went down that like they weren't able to really recover from that um, but what what's it going to take for uk at this point to to get back to that level i think it's
2: a combination of they like that because they don't have the because they don't have the safety net uh, that, that other programs do i think it's going to have to be a combination of of things coming together like i do think it is going to have to be an older group combined, which is hard in the transfer portal era, right? Um, it's harder. Um, an older group combined with having a couple of players that Kentucky doesn't typically have or shouldn't have, in terms of I say shouldn't in air quotes because it's you know every it's in a lot of individual choices that players make, but I mean like traditionally that Kentucky does not have, and also hitting on the portal guys, which they've done a really good job of. Like, uh, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but they, you know, Guilfoyle was a, a portal guy, Darren Williams, who was probably their best pitcher until he got hurt is a transfer portal guy. Tyler Bosma from Miami, Ohio is a transfer portal guy. He's coming back. Um, They like him a lot. Daniel Harris, portal guy, Hunter jump, portal guy, Adam Fogle, portal guy, portal guy, John Thrasher. Like those, those are a lot of the most important guys they had. So I think they're, I think they've got a good niche, right? Like it's kind of like we talked about Rutgers with their niche, like Kentucky, I think has a good niche of, You know, hey, mid-major player, especially close to them, right? Like Miami, Ohio, not that far away. Certainly Eastern Kentucky with Daniel Harris and Darren Williams just up the road. Um, Hey, guy who maybe wasn't a good enough recruit coming out of high school to go to Kentucky. How would you like to play in the SEC? And you're also not a Sonny Deshera who's going to end up at Auburn, right? Because you're you're just such a supernova of a mid-major player it seems like they found like a groove in terms of the right types of mid major guys they're bringing up. So I, I do think they do that effectively. So I just think it's a, they're, they're always going to have to be a program. I think um, for a lot of different reasons that is just going to have to have some stars align. And I think they can do that. I think they came darn close last year, frankly. Um, now they are getting, a lot of those pitchers are coming back. I talked about Bosma, but he's not the only one who's made the decision to to come back and, and run it back Um, 2023 could be that year. If, if the portal is, if the portal work is as effective as it was last year, which is no sure thing, but I I do have some level of, of confidence there. And, and I mean, look, let's call a spade a spade where, um, Kentucky, I I don't think a lot of people would have necessarily looked if, if Kentucky had decided to move on from Nick Mingione, Um, I think maybe we could talk about whether or not that would have been the right decision, but people would not have looked at that and gone like, Oh, what are they doing? Right. I mean, in the sec you get a certain amount of time to get teams to the postseason and to a certain level. And when you don't do that, you, you typically, they move on from you. Right. And they're going on long enough of not being the postseason now, where I think people, even if they understand the, the difficulties at Kentucky would have understood that that's kind of the game, right? Like that's how it works. Um, But I like, and I mentioned this with Missouri and Steve Beezer earlier this Mm -hmm. offseason, like I like that Kentucky kind of, I think, was able to look under the hood and look at what was happening here and understanding that like, yeah, maybe it is disappointing. The results are what they are. But I think the bones of what they're doing here is actually pretty effective and and is working on some level and also just understanding where Kentucky is in in the grand scheme of things. So I think that was actually a a good bit of a foresight there by the, by the Kentucky brass. And as we kind of talked about with what could have been with another year of Steve Rodriguez at Baylor, I do think 2023 ends up just consequently being a kind of an important year for for this program.
1: I, I think it's also interesting that like, look, next year, Tennessee is what they are and Florida and Vanderbilt. And those, those three all look very good again, going into next year, but South Carolina coming off of some disappointment and, you know, they've hit the portal hard and tried to reset the roster and we'll see what they are. And Georgia did not hit the highs that we thought they were going to. And now some of the strengths last year, the fact that they had an older roster, like those are gone. Um, This is not to say that Georgia and South Carolina are both going to be bad next year by any means, like, but the East does look a little bit, more like you can go out and do something going into 2023 than it did going into 2022 when Georgia looked like a top 20 team maybe even a top 15 team and South Carolina uh was coming off of I mean yeah they hosted in 21 but like they were also just a a much better team in 21 than they were in 22 uh and so it, it the, the division, while still very difficult because of what Tennessee and Vanderbilt and Florida can be doing with themselves, uh, it does look a little more open than it did a year ago.
2: Oh, good point. A uh, very good point. I mean, they're just going to be having to do what they do and thread the needle the way that they do is always going to make them a fascinating team. And I think in particular in, in 2023, that will that will be the case. OK, uh, mid-major stuff. Let's uh, let's uh, let's see. Sorry, I'm again. The the handwriting is is problematic here. Okay, a few things here. One uh, in the SoCon, uh, neither Wofford nor Mercer made the postseason, and those were two teams. You and I had a very serious and understandable conversation ahead of or after the series when they played. I can't remember which. um, About hey, could one or both? Frankly, right? Yeah, and I think the conversation we had before, which is the one I was. Thinking about was like, could one or both of the, or not both, but could one of these teams host, you know, if they win this, if they sweep this series, for example, and they just like run through the rest of the SOCON, uh, you know, could they, could they host, right? And Wofford's RPI for a long time was like right there um, to do that. And then it turns out neither made it. And, you know, Wofford was left just on the cutting room floor. Mercer was a little further off and, and no disrespect to UNC Greensboro, which just had a, you know, a charmed run to the SOCON tournament. It was a good team by the end, a team that was like zero and seven to start SoCon play or something, and then finished twelve and nine in the SoCon. So they had a heck of a run, but um, so neither of those teams making the postseason kind of a, a bummer for SoCon representation because I, I do think that those are two teams that could have given other teams, especially Wofford, could have given other teams fits. Um, Wright State uh, again played well in a regional. It wasn't their best regular season. I think that, you know they usually dominate. And I guess maybe in terms of games back, they still did dominate the the Horizon League, but not to the extent they've done in the past. This was not their best team on paper. Um, And yet they they do all they do in the Horizon League. They play well in a regional. And it kind of struck me that Wright State is the program that Oral Roberts used to be. Now, Oral Roberts is still very solid. They still get to the postseason quite a bit. But there, if you've been following college baseball for a long time, you know that there's history there under Sonny Galloway, under Rob Walton, and Ryan Fulmar has had years like this leading Oral Roberts, where you just did not want to see Oral Roberts pop up in your regional because you knew they were going to play well. There's a decent chance they're getting to the regional final and finding their way there. And then they weren't always a four seed. You know, they would, They would. there were years where they were a three, and I think they were even a two, and, and what, maybe 2006, they were a two. I, I don't know. But 2006 might actually just be the year they got to supers. They might not have been a two, but regardless, um, they had that in them. Um, they don't do that really anymore. Oral Roberts does again, still a solid program, winning a lot of games, but they're not getting to regional finals anymore. Uh, right. State does that though. Um, so they are kind of where Oral Roberts was in terms of, you know, they don't really have the RPI to be anything but a four most times, but they're better than a four most years, even in, they do end up being a four. And they're just going to play well in a regional. And getting to a regional final is something they've done in the past and will probably continue to do. Um, and you just kind of have to tip your hat to them because they've clearly uh, figured some stuff out on a program level because this now spans several different coaches um, and is really, really impressive. So kind of an ode to Wright State there. And my final thing is just the Sun Belt generally. Uh, I mean, look, a year ago at this time, Teddy and I were kind of dogging the sunbelt because 2021 was not a good season for that league and CUSA had such a good season in 2021 that we kind of thought like, man, you know, we thought the Sun Belt was going to be the ascendant mid-major conference in college baseball the last few years. And it's really been, you know, CUSA is having this resurgent year. Uh, fast forward to 2022 and, and CUSA still had a nice year, but the Sun Belt was the kind of the, uh, the hot new, you know, mid-major conference where we were, you know, they had Georgia Southern host and there were a couple of other teams that, uh, we're in the mix to host Texas State. Uh, certainly, you know, the year they had was impressive, got to a regional final. Um, that was impressive. So, um, you know, just a year ago, we were kind of questioning the Sunbelt and now uh, we're questioning them a lot less because of the results in the field and also, you know, through conference realignment, they are um, adding to their portfolio um you know certainly uh, with southern miss coming in that's a real positive ad from a baseball standpoint and so everything kind of seems like it's coming up sunbelt right now which is not (laughs) where we were just as recently as a uh, as a year ago so there's a little potpourri and mid-major stuff what do you like
1: i mean i don't really want to get back into the wofford should have gone to the ncaa tournament but like wofford should have gone to the ncaa tournament so So Um, I, you know, I have a lot of confidence in, and Hey, by the way, Todd Interdonato, still the coach at Wofford, like talked about a fair amount this off season, didn't go anywhere. Um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see how long he now lasts at Wofford. Uh, I do think that he's a little bit like it, it would help him a lot to have an NCAA tournament appearance, you know, recently on his resume that, that would be, that'd be kind of a big deal to, to add, uh if you're trying to get some of the better jobs. um, I mean, I, I don't see either Mercer or Wofford slowing down. You know, the SOCON probably is going to run through those two programs for a while. And that's no disrespect to UNCG, which again, just won the conference tournament, um, or Samford, which very recently, like a year ago, won, won the conference overall. But those two have been two of the more consistent <laughs> programs. And I, I just really like where they are and where they're headed um and you know we talked about the sunbelt at the start of this you know with uh where are they relative to the american now in the new sunbelt setup and yeah a lot of that is uh you know what they have just coastal georgia southern louisiana texas state add in southern miss but there are other good programs there that are waiting to be ascended or, or that have the ability to step up you know we saw what georgia state did this year we know what south alabama is capable of i mean that conference if they aren't getting multiple bids every year going forward i, I think that's going to be a big disappointment for them and i don't know if it's going to be an oversight by the committee that leads to that but just it's going to be disappointing because uh, that that is a league that really is set up to be a, a, a very good baseball league. And I hope that they're able to commit some resources. I hope that the realignment leads to them having more resources, you know, however they, they go about getting them. But um, th- 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 those are schools that really care about baseball, that have good facilities. I, I hope that, um, you know, and this isn't, me saying that they haven't had it in the past, but I, I just hope that going forward they continue to get all the support that they need from their administrations because, uh, you know, those are those are fan bases, communities, programs that really care about what they're doing on the diamond and, and have had a lot of success doing it.
2: Here, uh, here, I will always be on board for that. Um, certainly, it's a challenging environment for mid majors, and as you know, revenue disparities uh, kind of continue to grow for better or worse and in, in college athletics. Um, so yeah, I certainly hope that, that those programs that kind of are shining examples of, of being able to compete nationally in college baseball, despite not being in one of the the biggest handful of, of conferences. I, I, I'm certainly all always in favor of, of that kind of thing happening. So, um, okay. That is our run through of overlooked storylines. I will, uh, I'm now going to park the bus. I'm going to stand up <laughs> and we're going to switch seats again. I'm going to let Teddy close out because He's got this kind of committed to memory in a way that I don't and we don't really need me stammering through two minutes of, of trying to close <laughs> this out. So without further ado, uh, let me get up out of my seat.
1: Alright, so it's the off season, and you just listened to like 60 plus minutes of us talking about college baseball so thank you. Uh, and remember that you can subscribe to the Baseball America college podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps if you aren't already apple podcast spotify stitcher wherever you get your podcasts you can find the baseball america podcast and hit that subscribe or follow button and like i mentioned we are on in our off-season schedule that means once a week uh we'll be back here next week and the plan is to talk uh the fallout from the mlb draft signing deadline and uh we'll, we'll talk our never too early Top 25 looking at 2023. From there, we are going to roll into more of our uh, interviews from people around the college baseball world. So if you're interested in hearing from somebody, if you want Joe and me to ask somebody in the college baseball world what their favorite sandwich is, uh, let us know. I'm on Twitter at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. It's probably the easiest way to do it, though you can also drop it in a review on Apple Podcasts. And we will find it there and hopefully be able to uh to fulfill your requests um plenty to read over at baseballamerica.com uh with the trade deadline coming up if you're into major league baseball and the prospects that will be on the move over the next week we'll have you covered there carlos colazo is hot on the trail of the next high school class and uh joe and i we we, we write every once in a while still so you can uh <laughs> You can fill your day with with Baseball America reading uh, over at BaseballAmerica.com. Thank you all for listening. Joe and I will be back here next week and every week throughout the off season. Uh, so remember to uh, to subscribe, and we look forward to uh, you know providing a little bit of college baseball into the next few months, which uh, obviously are a little little less college baseball heavy than the than in season. But if you're if you're into it. We've got it for you here uh, once a week. So thank you all for listening. Ford Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.